Hey everyone, I'm Emmanuel. I'm Kali. And I'm Jamidra. And we're the hosts of The Cooler. If you flew across the world and took an awesome bikini shot and no one liked it, did any of it even happen? We're about to find out when Instagram snatches all of our likes away. Nicki Minaj has strong opinions on this, and so do we. Have you ever had a situation that was so quote-unquote perfect you couldn't wait to escape? I'm going to tell you about three princesses who know the feeling. And we're also going to be talking about emotional labor, what it is, what it isn't, and asking, when did friendships start to feel like work? Oh, I'm feeling tired already. (laughs) Clock in, clock out. Run me my check. (laughs) (laughs) Run me my check. (laughs) Pay me what you owe me. (laughs) (laughs) Y'all, the impossible has happened. Nicki Minaj and Cardi B have finally found something they actually agree on. No. I never thought this day would come. So someone get Ripley, tell him to believe it or not, put it in the book because (laughs) this is happening. So did they agree to stop dedicating so much time on hating each other for no reason? No. Did they agree to join forces on a song and take all of our money? Not yet. Because you know that's going to happen. Yeah, of course. What they're seeing eye to eye on is that both of them think that Instagram ain't shit. Oh, okay. (laughs) So for those of you who aren't in the tech news loop, a few weeks ago, Instagram CEO Adam Masseri unveiled a plan to make like counts invisible to everyone but the user, saying, quote, it's about young people. Mm. The idea is to try to depressurize Instagram, make it less of a competition and give people more space to focus on connecting with people that they love and things that inspire them, end quote. He later tweeted, looking forward to all the feedback. And whoo, boy, did he get some feedback. (laughs) Except you can't see it because he's hidden that too. There was one key piece about that, which is connecting with the people they love. Probably 2% of the people on Instagram are people that I love in my feed. (laughs) Like everyone else I actively despise. Right. It's like, let me just mute this person right here. That's a great function, by the way. Oh, muting is amazing. Oh, my God. Seriously, guys, find your mute buttons. Mm. Mute them. So a lot of people are mad about this. Starting with the influencers who immediately started freaking out, they're worried that getting fewer likes will push their posts down further in the algorithmic feed or whatever and mess with their reach and ultimately their ability to make money. And some celebrities are annoyed as well, including Mrs. Petty herself, which is her actual last name now because she married that dude, Nicki Minaj, (laughs) who tweeted the following. And I was considering doing this in her voice, but I realized that is not a good look, so I'm not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. How how long did you rehearse before you decided you made that decision? It was literally like two seconds in, and I was like, nope, 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 not doing that. (laughs) I've, nope, nope. So maybe I'll do it in a British accent. Go for it. Why not? Quote she. I'm not posting on IG after this week because they removing the likes. Hmm, what should I get into now? Think of all the time I'll have with my new life. They will replace that too, you'll see. This is why musicians make no money. The labels and streaming services knew what to say to pacify us. They continue to make the real money. We are so easily pacified. Harriet Tubman would never. Y'all smoking dick. If y'all think labels ain't pissed about the level of power independent (laughs) artists now have by the way of Instagram, they all work together, unlike us, settling for crumbs. But remember, when I spoke on other shit before it happened... I had to throw in the To Freedom bomb sound effect from Queen Radio. Um, You sounded like a sorcerer in a Disney, like, (laughs) oh, it was a forest. Astounding. You guys, I had both of my hands up and I was like doing my fingers kind of like a sorcerer. So I'm glad that it came across. (laughs) Um, Okay. First of all, wonderful read. I wouldn't change a thing. Great read. Also, the Tokyo drift into Harriet Tubman? Yeah, I just, right? what? With, wow. Yeah. And okay. then following up a sentence that is, Harriet Tubman would never with y'all smoking dick? I mean, that's <laughs> yeah, art. I, it's art. Mm. <laughs> Why do we keep, isn't this the second time she done pulled Harriet into the mix? I need her to just. It's like the third or fourth time. She's obsessed. Okay. Oh, my God. So not to be outdone, Cardi B swooped in to say her own piece. She thinks that getting rid of likes is one reason to be annoyed at Instagram, but that there's an even bigger problem on the app that's had her pissed off for a while now. Hey, guys. So I look real fucked up right now. I look like a chopped cheese sandwich. So, you know, it's like a big ruckus right now that the likes on Instagram are getting taken away and it's like if 
anything is affecting Instagram right now, I really feel is the way that the comments have been changing these past few years because I feel like people been saying the most weirdest shit, been starting the craziest arguments, been starting to raise day all because of comments because they want they want to get to the top, they want to get the most reactions, and that's what I feel. The comments affect more than the likes. As usual, I'm kind of taken aback by Cardi B's thoughtfulness. She's so smart. She'll always get you. Mm -hmm. Especially when she's talking about FDR and the New Deal. Gets me every time. Yes. So I'm curious. You both work in social media and marketing and know a lot about this kind of stuff. In your professional opinions, do you think that this change that Instagram is making was made for the sake of the children, like the CEO said? Or is it for profit? Or is it a little of both? Listen. Instagram has been dragged for quite some time. I think we all remember that study back in 2017 that basically was like it has ill effects on mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So that was 2017, timeline. So Instagram knows that they have to compete for younger audiences. And if they continue to be criticized, it'll be problematic. So I do think that they took the likes away so that they can spin PR, that it's about mental health and it's about protecting youth. But I also think there's a sneaky little element in there, whereas that now influencers and brands have to go through Instagram in order to verify numbers, which they can probably charge a fee for. So hmm. I didn't think of that. Yeah. The first thing I would say is that I would always counsel people to be very wary of retconning by social media heads. If you recall, Mark Zuckerberg tried this trick on us by Mm. claiming that he invented Facebook to bring people together, to connect people, (laughs) which is objectively false. He wanted to rank hotness. Exactly. This face versus that face. Who would you bang? With that in mind... I think a lot about how Instagram also removed the activity tab. So you can't Mm. see what your friends are liking. I do think that that is not a coincidence that that happened before this removal of likes. I like your theory, Jamidra. I think that it's about money making. I think it's about what you can charge for. And I think there's something else there and I don't know what it is. Mm. I've been trying to think about it. And I can't work it out. And it's really annoying me. I wonder if it's lawsuits. I wonder if they're terrified that someone's going to sue platform for you know pain and suffering for For likes though yeah for emotional damage i agree with cardi in the respect that like if it really is about mental health then i would think it would be about the comments like we had a couple years ago we had a a wave of publishers like the new york times and a couple other people that were like you know what comments are way too toxic so we're just going to take them off the site altogether or only people who have like verified accounts can comment or have paid subscriptions or whatever instagram you can make up whatever screen name you want whatever handle whatever picture and you could say the craziest stuff so if it really is about like protecting mental health Mm. then i would think that It'd be, there'd be something there about the comments. I think Cardi's on to it. So Instagram has rolled this out and they've tested it in a few other countries and now it's finally coming to the U.S. But in the countries that they have tested it, influencers have reported or there have been reports that influencers have suffered. And the mm. percentage of likes have gone down. The engagement has gone down. And so if you think about it, if you're an influencer and people can see that you got a million likes on a post and so then a brand comes to you and they're like, we want a piece of that action. Now brands won't be able to see that. So what they'll have to do is they'll have to go to Instagram and be like, who has the most likes? Who's getting the most engagement? I always think of social media platforms and the people who run them as kind of figures in a town who don't like it when business is being conducted that they don't know about. Mm. You know, they want to own all the business going on. They want to share of that business. And this really strikes me as Instagram thinking like, why wouldn't we have a piece of that pie? Mm -hmm. Why are we facilitating business deals between Instagram influencers and the people who pay them? Why are we not owning that? It might have something to do with the FCC ruling. Because, you know, a few years ago, FCC came in and they were like, influencers can't just do these ads without like claiming that they're ads. Remember a few years ago, it was just like people were making tons of money. It was like the heyday of influencer Mm. marketing. And they felt like it was a little duplicitous, you know. And so finally, FCC stepped in and they were like, people have to, if they have to disclose whether or not they're being paid. And so maybe there's something there. Hashtag ad, hashtag sponsor. Yeah, hashtag ad, hashtag hashtag sponsor. So maybe Instagram is like trying to formalize it a little bit more. And they're doing it under the guise of like, this is about protecting youth and mental health. Mm. This is a win-win. We can get a PR win. And we can also satisfy some of these, this heat that's coming down the pipe from the FCC and make a little money on set. True. Thoughts, Emmanuel? I agree with both of you that anytime a company as big as Instagram, especially with such close ties to Facebook, which, in my opinion, is one of the most nefarious companies ever. I can say that, I think. Will I get sued? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm scared of that. Um, uh, Allegedly. Allegedly. There we go. Allegedly. 
But like those kind of companies never do something out of the kindness of their hearts. It's either for publicity reasons, like Mm -hmm. you guys were saying, or for a nice coin. And so I also lean toward the great unliking TM (laughs) being more about sponging money off of influencers and making this situation where they have to pay to play. Kind of like what they've done with journalistic outlets who have to pay Facebook to have their work seen by people who actually want to see Mm -hmm. their work. So I don't trust them. So like Nicki Minaj is fleeing Instagram, allegedly. Nicki Minaj also said she was retiring. I know she did say that. So I just. And then she's already back. So (laughs) the Lily Allen of rap. (laughs) We'll take it with a grain of Himalayan pink salt. That's fine. So she's leaving. How do you two feel about this? Like, are you out with the likes or is this going to make you more likely to use the app now that they're gone? I mean, I can't leave the app. It's my job. You have to be on it. You have to be on it. So you'll be working on it, but will you be? Will you still have a personal account and be engaging in that way? I think so. And I wonder if it'll uh, make me feel a little bit freer Mm -hmm. to actually post things that I like. But the thing is, you can still see your own likes. Yeah, right. You just tap through. So it's not like, oh, I can finally post all those pictures that you know the man was trying to suppress. You know, I can (laughs) finally. Uh, say what I think. Or, no, it's it's not at all. It's smoke and mirrors. And much in the way that I've dedicated a lot of, of on-air time in this podcast over the last, I think, four, five years to saying don't mistake one person for another person. So, you know, say Brad Pitt, he's an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't listen to him on being a humanitarian because he doesn't have the creds. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. And this is, I think, the mistake when social media companies try to make out that they always wanted to be this other thing that they mutated into. Facebook never wanted to be a tool for political conversations. Instagram never wanted to be a mediator for children's mental health. They both started off as money-making organizations, visually driven money-making organizations. And to suddenly say that, oh, yeah, they, they were always this other thing, I think that's really dangerous because it's not correct. <laughs> I will say I'm so I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to be on Instagram, but I I I the likes have always kind of annoyed me a little bit. Um mm. mainly because I feel like the people around me are, you know, I'm going to bust my husband out right now. But like when he posts he'll be like, "Oh, I got I've never had this many likes on a post," right? So he's somebody who doesn't really care about social media, but then he sees the amount of likes that he gets and mm. then it kind of like I think it feeds this this sort of like vicious cycle where some people do post and then take things down uh-huh. if they don't get enough likes. My right? selfie wasn't liked enough. Yeah, and so there is some sort so there's like a psychological thing to it. And maybe if you can see it, you'll still have an impact. But if other people can't see it, it won't be as bad. Or I don't know. And it does make me think whether or not people like things if they are they're more inclined to like things if they see more people have liked them. Or, mm, but I'm not going anywhere. I'll still, be, I'll still be there looking at Nicki Minaj's Instagram account, and she gonna be there too, girl. Right. Stop. <laughs> she's not going anywhere. I also am not probably going anywhere. I actually think I'm going to maybe use it more because, okay, like, I don't want to admit this, but I do care a lot about what people think about me, and it's something I've been trying to work on. But to be completely honest, like, I used to gorge myself on validation through Instagram so much that, like, when I would go on one of those perfectly seeming vacations to, like, Europe or something, I would set an alarm for 4 a.m. to wake up and post a photo so that it would go up at the perfect scrolling time for people in California because I want to get the likes and feel like my life experience is worthy or something. And then obviously I realized that was crazy and unhealthy. And so I ended up stepping away from Instagram. And at first I took a month off, then I took several months. And now I just like post every now and then in Blue Moon. If I interview mm-hmm. Tan France, I'm like, okay, I'm going to put that photo up because <laughs> um, you guys should know this. Yeah. But like it felt like getting unhooked from like huffing keyboard cleaner or something. Like I was like <laughs> ready for an, the, like the saddest episode of intervention. Like he's a, addicted to Instagram and validation from others. <laughs> he needs to go to therapy, obviously. I got us. I applaud your administrative zeal for setting that alarm. Okay. Right. Just listen, honey. Yeah, you get the photo when you get the photo. I'm not doing all that. My REM <laughs> sleep this was is... all f- up. <laughs> But here's the thing that I'll say is, though, like, all of us, we think that we're sort of, we're really aware. You know what I mean? Like, I think that I'm aware and I think that I'm not affected. But I have no idea how social media has impacted me all these years. Like, scrolling Mm. through and looking at it, I'd like to say, like, it doesn't bother me. But I really cannot definitively say that it hasn't, like, warped something in my thinking and the way I perceive the world. So, who knows? Let's test it. I say take them away. Let's see what happens. I'm sorry, influencers. They'll be on other platforms. Mm. Go to TikTok. An- another new shining social media platform will be right around the corner to monetize. Right. 
It's the funny thing is that we can't say that we weren't warned and we can't say that the companies haven't been pretty honest with us about what they're trying to do to us. There's been a lot of talk by these companies about the psychological tips and tricks that they use to get you hooked on this stuff. Mm-hmm. So when you're describing, I mean, what is what sounds to me like addiction, Emmanuel, like that was very deliberate. You know, the uh, choice of color. Uh, the amount of notifications you receive about mm-hmm. a like. They've been honest that they withhold some of the initial likes so that you keep going back to the platform to check. Mm-hmm. Like, why hasn't anyone liked this, this picture yet? That's all so calculated and deliberate. And they've been pretty upfront about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now that the likes are gone, I am hoping that Instagram becomes more like what Tumblr used to be for me, where it's more like a mood board of things that bring you joy. And That's what Pinterest is for, child. <laughs> I'm not going down that road. <laughs> Um, But yeah, like things that bring you joy or things that you think are beautiful instead of what you think other people will think is beautiful or other people will feel joyful about. So like we're kind of reclaiming ourselves through this. Maybe I'm thinking too much about this. But yeah, whatever reason Instagram is doing this, I'm excited about it. I think it might be a good thing. Maybe it will be good for Gen Z. We'll find out. But to all the Nickies out there who are really upset about this, like anytime there's a big change on our screens or in our lives, at first, of course, there's that like knee jerk feeling of outrage or like, no, I like things the way they are. But eventually you kind of forget how things used to be and you're just happy with how things are. So, Nikki, you'll forget all about this soon and be big mad about something else entirely. <laughs> so hang in there. It's going to get better and then worse and then better because that's the cycle of change. Mm hmm. <laughs> I just remember when Facebook used to have a poke feature. Oh, ew. (laughs) (laughs) Emmanuel Jamidra, when I say the phrase emotional labor... What do you understand that phrase to mean? Oh, please. You're talking to a mom, so I have a whole, like, the visuals just <laughs> Lay it on me. Lay it on me. Well, you know, I got three kids, so I'll just leave it at that. Oh. It was a very emotional experience for me. So that's the first one. The second one is just, like, thinking about dealing with the really complex emotional feelings day in and day out and just being exhausted. Mm-hmm. Emmanuel, does that track for you? I, I think of it that way, but I also think of it in terms of, the workplace because the word labor. And I think of it when a lot of subjugated people have to deal with microaggressions and then act like it's not happening or it's not affecting their emotions. And what comes to mind mostly is, say, someone says something messed up and then a black woman finds herself not reacting because she doesn't want to be the, quote, angry black woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, things like that come to mind. And also just, like, any time that we're socialized to suppress our emotions or, like, sacrifice our needs for others. Like, I think about the customer's always right. Like, because everyone knows that saying, customers think they can treat workers like crap and they just have to deal with it. And often they have to deal with it because they're going to sacrifice their job if they just, like, step to these people. So that's another instance of, like, okay, you're acting crazy in my face, but I'm going to put a smile on and not show any emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you got deep. I, I didn't even think that deeply about emotional labor. I just think that I am exhausted because I am emotionally <laughs> laboring <laughs> right now. Well, see, this is really interesting because I actually threw this question out on Twitter as well and mm-hmm. asked people, without Googling it, what do you think this phrase means? What does it mean to you? And people were pretty much along the exact same lines as you guys have been saying. And the reason I asked that is because, I don't know if you've noticed, the phrase emotional labor has come have been, quote unquote, in the discourse recently. (laughs) And if you're confused about why that is, the reason is a Twitter thread by a writer and educator called Melissa Fabello. And it talked about the emotional labor of friendship, specifically when a friend has a problem or a crisis or a need for advice and wants it from you. What do you do? So she starts this thread because she said she received a text from a friend who said, hey, I'm going through something. I'd love to talk about it. Do you have the time and the emotional capacity to do Mm -hmm. that? And so this woman, Melissa Fabello, started this thread talking about what she called asking for consent for emotional labor. She said, generally speaking, we should check in before we unload. So she was praising this friend for for checking with her before unloading. But the big thing 
that everyone seized on was at the bottom of this thread in the latter messages. She said that a follower had asked her, well, how do you push back on someone if you if you don't have oh. the capacity to deal with someone's shit right there and then? And she said, so I, I have this little template that I offered them. And, you know, I'm going to put it here in case you guys want to use it. And the template reads, hey, I'm so glad you reached out. I'm actually at capacity slash helping someone else who's in crisis slash dealing with some personal stuff right now. And I don't think I can hold appropriate space for you. Could we connect later date or time instead slash do you have someone else you could reach out to? Oh, and people had had opinions about this template, specifically about pushing back on a friend in need in quite such a workmanlike fashion. (laughs) I mean, I will say that it did feel a little corporate. (laughs) People had opinions. And so the idea of what emotional labor is and what isn't is back in the the conversation. And it is a big thing. There's this writer called Gemma Hartley who wrote a whole book about it called Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women and the Way Forward. And this writer, Gemma Hartley, said, emotional labor as I define it, italics, very much mine, is emotion management and life management combined. It's the unpaid, invisible work we do to keep those around us comfortable and happy. So this is kind of what you guys were talking to me about what you understand. That invisible work is on. It's working overtime all the time. So there's going to be a bit of a reveal here. But before I do my grand unveiling, I want to know, when was the last time you performed some emotional labor? When was the last time I didn't perform some emotional labor? So I I I was saying, in having kids, you often have to mediate a lot of conflicts between the children and between the parents of the children. And you have to be mindful and polite and cognizant of how they're feeling, how your child is feeling, how their child is feeling, and making sure you filter all of that in a way that isn't like, so you know what? You need to get your child. Because if you don't, we gonna have a problem. Like you can't just say that. So you have to like find ways to have these conversations, and it just it takes a toll on you. Like at the end of the day, I'll find myself like I can't even respond to an email back to another parent or like the school or whatever because I have to be so thoughtful about what I'm saying mm-hmm. that it just is like emotionally depleting. How about you, Emmanuel? I think every family has the person who is the peacemaker. <laughs> yes, it happens to be me because I'm the middle child. Unionize, and so that person's usually growing up attuned to everyone's emotions and like putting out fires and making sure everyone's great and like building bridges for them and stuff. And that is exhausting when you're also not like really involved in the drama, but you Mm. really can't handle the drama. So you're like, let me just fix all this. Um, So there's that. And also recently in my life, I've been interviewing a lot and starting new jobs. And there's a lot of anxiety that comes with that. And a lot of like imposter syndrome, which we've talked about on the show before of like, oh, do I deserve to be here? Should someone else have gotten this opportunity? Mm -hmm. That kind of stuff. And I have to replace all those feelings with a confident smile when I'm really spiraling. But what makes me feel better is that, yes, it's exhausting, but it's good to know that basically all of us are actively doing that. And so we're all faking it, trying to make it. And it sucks that we feel like we can't express ourselves in certain mediums. But at least we're all just going through it together, silently suffering. (laughs) Does that give you comfort? Because when you kind of said that we're all faking it, I was like, something about that was sort of like that advice you get about giving a speech in front of a room and picturing people naked, which I've never done. I think it's really (laughs) bizarre. Yeah, it's weird. But there's something about just knowing that everybody else is probably also faking it on their worst days, too. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes you feel like, okay, all of us are biting our tongue and and pushing down emotions and trying to like, we're laboring together. Uh Mm -hmm. 100%. And there's a reason that this topic, when it comes up time and time again, as it does, it's so seized upon. Okay. And here's my big reveal. Are you ready to get sociological with me? Come back with me to 1983, guys. A book is written called The Managed Heart by a sociologist called Arlie Hochschild. She is the woman that coined the term emotional labor. And in her 1983 definition of it, it's not what we think it is. Okay, hold on. What did she say? She said, as she defined this phrase, emotional labor is like the emotional gymnastics that certain roles are usually the ones performed by women, usually very low earning roles, demand putting on happy face in your job, basically. Yeah. As she defines it, she said, it centrally involves trying to feel the right 
feeling for the job. So we're talking a waitress who always has to plaster a smile on. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, she will be perceived to be a grumpy waitress. We're talking about a, a carer who always has to be kind and cheerful for those she's caring for. Uh, a flight attendant well, who can't be grumpy yeah. when dealing with folks. So this definition very much was applied to specific jobs. Emotional labor in this definition is, well, in its correct definition, is managing your own emotions. And it is fascinating to me how it has turned outward and now pretty much comes to mean managing the emotions, not only of yourself, but everyone around you. The definition is of all. Yep. And I don't want to get snotty, right, about this isn't some big like, oh, you idiots, you're using the phrase wrong. <laughs> um, I don't play that game. Uh, words la- change, language changes, meanings evolve. But I think it's so interesting why this happened. Why did we take this term that was about the workplace and start applying it to our personal lives? Not because it belonged to women. We can take things that belong to women <laughs> just like that all willy-nilly. <laughs> so in 2017, searches for the term emotional labor began spiking after there was this Harper's Bazaar article that came out called Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up. And the subtitle was Emotional Labor is the Unpaid Job Men Still Don't Understand. Who wrote that? Gemma Hartley. Hmm. the woman who wrote the whole book about emotional labor. And she talks about having to bear the brunt of the housework and the childcare and having to ask her husband for help in a way that specifically doesn't hurt his feelings. Hmm. So the whole idea has turned from inward to outward. Uh, We clearly were so craving and desperate for a term to describe all of that unpaid, invisible work we feel we do, that we had to go and co-opt something from workplace language. We also love a good term, like it's kind of pathologizing our feelings and it kind of legitimizes them. You're like, oh, there's a a word for that. Oh, that's really cool. And this sociologist, Ali Hochschild, has actually been asked whether that traditional like female planning in in the home, like remembering uh, birthdays and also birthdays at work, you know, always throwing the birthday party. um, She said that's not emotional labor. That's mental work. That's the mental load. And she talks about how we feel that it's a load and a burden because we're alienated from things that like in the past might have brought us some pleasure, like interacting with folks, remembering birthdays. And she's even been asked in this uh, article in The Atlantic about whether giving help to friends is emotional labor. So right back to the Fabello thread. Mm -hmm. And... Ali Hochschild said, it can be emotional labor that you love. She oh, said, so, so it doesn't have to be something that you hate. Emotional labor can actually be something that you enjoy. Yeah. She's saying. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she, her take on this is that the misapplication of her own phrase is because the things that should be meaningful and fun to us, like being in your home, playing with your kids, spending time with your friends, talking to your friends, they're actually alienating us. We don't find them fun anymore. Why... Mm. Is this? When did we start seeing being with and helping friends as something alienating and something that's more like work? Instagram. Than fun. (laughs) (laughs) It all comes back to Instagram. Nikki was right. Yeah, I think we're just we're all busy. Our attention spans are shorter because we're pulled in multiple directions. I think we're multitasking more than we ever have in this in this particular generation. Like I think we always feel like we are supposed to be doing something else. Or we're not doing enough and we don't have enough time. So I think a lot of the things, a lot of the emotional labor that we used to enjoy, now we just see as sort Mm -hmm. of like things that get in the way of being productive. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that because I basically think it's all capitalism. (laughs) So Instagram and capitalism. It is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It is. Well, we're now constantly available, essentially. Um, And that's because of, you know, the infection of work email into our our personal lives Mm -hmm. and social media making us totally available. Capitalism affects us in two ways, right? We are exhausted by it. We work so long and hard. At the end of the day, when a friend texts you saying, like, hey, can I vent? You're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. Because you are so tired by your long job. You get everything to your job that day. And the second thing that capitalism has done to me, to you, to Emmanuel, is it's made you, it's trained you to see literally everything you do in terms of work. Capitalism Mm -hmm. gives you a little capitalist brain. And so when you're not getting paid for something that you see as work, you see that as unpaid hours, which is why the phrase (laughs) emotional labor has been so (sighs) co-opted. Okay, I kind of went off on that. I do want to acknowledge that friendships do take work. But isn't it a different work to the kind of stuff that earns you money? I think a lot of people say that effort is a better word. Does that Mm. strike you as... It was reasonable. I think effort probably is the best the best way to describe it. When you're talking about relationships, it's not really work. It's kind of like an investment. Well, I guess even that's a capitalistic right? Term, huh? Wow. Uh, it, terms we grasp for. Uh-huh. See, it's like they got me. 
Um, I just told Emmanuel as an eldest child to unionize. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're indeed. I think it is effort. It's like it's effort. Um, you, I think any relationship, just like a plant. Although I kill all the plants that I have, but I'm just saying, <laughs> it's like a plant. It takes water. It takes care. So if you want a, a relationship and a friendship to flourish, then you got to put. You got to. You got to. You know. You got to put in the effort. This is from the. All my friends who are listening are like, girl, when is the last time you called me or texted me or we went to brunch? Sorry, guys. Emmanuel, do you buy this theory about friendships feeling like work now? Do, do you have friendships that feel like work? Would you send that work template email that um, Melissa Fabella suggested to someone? Am I sending invoices to all my friends? No. Yes. <laughs> Venmo request? I think that friendship is like an active thing that you do to keep it going, obviously. And maybe we could call it like friendshipping. Like, it is a verb, Mm. but Mm. I don't think of it as work myself. I think it's a privilege for someone to feel close enough to me to trust me with their feelings or whatever they're going through and wanting my help. So I always genuinely enjoy helping my loved ones get through whatever they're dealing with. So I don't really relate to a lot of what some of the people are saying around this issue around friendships because I just uh, love being in relationship with people. And I don't think of it as, like, sweat drop emoji vibes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're not yeah. being alienated. That's a good point. Like I do, I enjoy it. Like I don't like, I don't like talking about myself very much. <laughs> but I, my friends come to me all the time, and they're like, "Let's talk about this thing," and I'm like, "Let's talk." Let me just be sort of like a Yanla for for an hour. <laughs> yeah, you guys know I wanted to be like a, I wanted to be a few things, but I wanted to be a therapist at one point in my life. So sometimes I like to play at it. Mm, yeah. Okay. No one is saying that protecting your boundaries is a bad thing. Sometimes you just you don't have the ability to be there for a friend when that's needed. No one's saying that's a bad thing. However, you may be bending the knee to capitalism every damn day to pay your bills, but you don't have to frame your entire life in terms of work or indeed send messages to friends that sound like work emails. And guys, if your friendships are feeling like work, it might be worth examining why that is. And finally, if you ever get confused about the original definition of emotional labor and what it actually meant when it was coined back in 1983, just remember, put on a happy face. And spread sunshine all over the place. Just put on a happy face. Carly, Emmanuel, it's no secret that the world is obsessed with royalty, aren't we? Carly isn't. I'm certainly not. And I hope you will have been following events with Prince Andrew this month, but I won't let us get sidetracked with that. Well, I want more of that later. But we need to blame you. Your people are the ones who have popularized our royal obsession. Oh, 100%. We have been enthralled to these morons for literal centuries. I mean, everybody lost their shit when Kate and William got married. It was a thing, right? It was a thing. Then when Meghan Margot got engaged to Henry, we were all over it. Harry. Is that who he yeah. she's like? Okay, well, I don't know. The red-headed one. They have a baby together. Jimmy, yeah. you call him whatever the hell you want. Okay? <laughs> So, Megan married Chad. Go on. <laughs> all of that. So, names aside, what I will say is I think that all of us are just kind of, there's something alluring about the idea of being a princess, a duchess, or just being like royalty. You know, either you're low-key or high-key, famous, wealthy, and you have every whim tended to. I mean, that kind of sounds like a fabulous life. And even those of us who can't stand the royals or the rich, I think we'd all like to one day in those shoes. Perhaps. I would like to snap my fingers and say, passion fruit margarita with jalapeno, please. And then yes. it, have, it brought to me. I guess you could do that at a bar, but you have to pay for it. And imagine just having people have to refer to you as like princess or duchess or whatever. Like, who was it on The Real Housewives in New York who was like, I will not let it go? Countess Luann Delacette. Countess. <laughs> Countess Luann. So, I mean, I think all of us, if we had an opportunity to be royalty, we would be at least for a day. That's why when I was scrolling through my Sunday reads and I came across this piece in Vanity Fair that talked about not one, not two, but three princesses who tried to escape Dubai, I needed to know more. Wow. Escape, as in flee oh, the life, the gilded I mean, cage. people did like Mission Impossible escapes. <laughs> one was successful and is in London like bye girl. <laughs> 
or more appropriately, boy, bye. And so I was like, I needed to know more. So I fell into this rabbit hole. Don't know what my children were doing for the hour while I was reading this. I assume my husband was taking care of them. But I was like, I have to bring this story to you all. So picture it. Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum. He sounds hot. Okay. Sheikh Mo is what people call him. So he is a sheikh in Dubai. He's a major landowner in England. He's a personal friend of the queen. Ooh. Multiple private planes. Writes poetry. Worth $4 billion. I mean, is any of this sort of like... It's getting me going. What a renaissance, I mean, man. He's sounding like a catch. There is one catch. Uh, he, he has six other wives and, oh. and 30 children. Wow. Mm. Um, and 12 of them are with his first wife. Uh, so, mm, yeah. So, I don't share. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm worth it. <laughs> so recently what happened was there's been a lot of controversy because his wife, Princess Haya bint al Hassan, has fled to London, like up and dipped. So she decided to shake it off, if you will. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Cool, we just lost a giant swathe of our market. (laughs) It was right there. I just had to say it. (laughs) So recently uh, she decided to flee to London and it's caused a big scandal. Not only did she leave, she took their two children, a 7-year-old and 11-year-old, with them. And she's like, guess what? Not going to return. Whoa, so she's instigating legal proceedings? or? Oh, yeah. Well, Sheikh Mo is instigating legal proceedings. He's like, I want my children. And so now all of this has sort of been fodder for British tabloids because... Her departure sort of brought up the fact that his other two daughters also tried to flee the country. His daughters? His daughters. And they were returned. Oh. And so now everybody's like wondering what's going on in the country. Because when you think of Dubai, I think most people are like, oh, it's progressive-ish. With a heavy emphasis on the ish. (laughs) It's kind of progressive-ish. Like it's kind of modern. You know, we think about skyscrapers. Like more and more sort of entertainment and concerts are starting to happen there. And so Americans are going. People from around the world are going. But there's sort of like this whole piece of it that we don't think about. So according to um, the piece in Vanity Fair, there's still guardianship laws around women's rights, right? So a woman's father can control whether or not she can work, where she can go, what she can do. In order for a spouse to decline sex, you have to have a legal reason. Women have to have a legal reason. Okay, you just lost me. Yeah. Um, And if a woman shows up pregnant who is unmarried at a hospital, she can be arrested, even if she's having a miscarriage. I didn't know any of this. That's terrifying. Yeah. So all of this is happening in the backdrop of like Princess Haya leaving, who is a princess who hails from Jordan, which is she's part of a royal family, but they have much more of a British structure there. And so she showed up. She's like, hey, she met this guy. I told you what, what Sheikh Mo was like. He's kind of handsome. poetry. He's got horses. He's, you know, like he's a friend of the queen. They got married in 2004 and now she escapes. So as I mentioned, Folks are digging into why the other two princesses tried to run. So the first princess is Shamsa. The Guardian reports that in 2001, she's like young, equestrian, college student. She abandoned a Range Rover near the family stables and like disappeared, like completely vanished. Like on foot. Like on foot. She was like, I'm out. Demetra, this is terrifying. So Sheikh Mo got in his helicopter, was like, I'm looking for my daughter. Apparently they found her in Cambridge. Reportedly, the bodyguards snatched her, brought her back. And it became like an international incident. So the U.N. got involved. London police wanted to know more about what happened. She hired a barrister in London. I like to say barrister. Oh, barrister, yes. She hired a barrister in London. And then the investigation stalled as these things happened with powerful people. Nobody really looked into it. And she's kind of disappeared. There hasn't been really been like a public picture of her in like the last 18 years. That's chilling. Right? So cut to her sister, Latifah who tried to disappear in 2018. So she got with a few friends. They rode jet skis out to a boat that was sort of like docked out further out at sea. Oh, my God. They tried to go to Sri Lanka, and then from that point, they were going to go to the United States, but they were caught by the police. This needs to be a movie stat. Right? So they brought her back. Of course, the official word was just like, oh, that she has had a psychiatric breakdown. She needs help. And the last sort of like, thing that Haya said about it is like, you know, if I thought anything was wrong, I totally wouldn't be here. I am here for Latifah. I'm here. These are my stepdaughters. I think everything is fine. And then a couple months later, she bounced to London. She dips. Wow. She dips to London. I mean, people keep fleeing this man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so now he's filed suit against her because one of the things that I didn't mention earlier is, according to the law there, if a woman divorces the husband, the custody can automatically go to the husband. Mess. Wow. So it's it's kind of a deterrent? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, if you want to leave, go yeah. ahead and leave, but the children are not coming with you. File for divorce and lose your kids. So she bounced. So there are a lot of questions about like how she made it out because she made it out and she's refusing to leave and also she's sort of fighting custody. She Apparently she's filed for some kind of protection that's designed for women of domestic violence. Although she's been tight-lipped about it so we don't know what really happened but something is going on. This does not sound like the princess life that I would have imagined. Right? And so all of this just got me thinking because I think most of us we're like, I would love that life at least for like a day or two but you have no idea what goes on behind those closed doors. And it's very topical because there's a conversation around Meghan Markle being attacked constantly by the British tabloids and there's been talk about her fleeing to LA or fleeing to Africa and like not living there. I feel for her. And lest we forget Princess Diana who literally tried to like flee and they chased her down to her death. Mm -hmm. We seem to have learned nothing from that and also the patriarchy is alive and well. Well one grim piece in this article that I will note is that when Latifah tried to escape the folks that were with her who were interrogated they were threatened and one of the veiled threats that was shared was that like what happened to Princess Diana wasn't an accident. <gasps> Like, well, right? Oh, like we can yeah, do that to like you too. Yeah, like we can do that to you too. And and I should say that like Latifah is thirty three. It's not like she's like a child. She's, yeah. Imagine being a thirty three year old woman and being like, I kind of want to go to. I don't want to live this life anymore. And they're like, No, actually, you don't have a choice. This is so scary, and it does not conform to anything that I thought princess life would be. Like I've always felt like, you know, the the lure of being the princess, like the appeal that is kind of undeniable, is about getting some pretty special treatment. You know, right. you are you are the chosen one. You are the special one. Mm-hmm. Every whim is catered to. I think it's the reason why, like, don't laugh, books like Twilight are really popular <laughs> because it's about someone, it's a normal woman getting plucked from obscurity by usually a guy mm-hmm. and... Uh, Treated like royalty, quite literally in this case. Yeah. We've been hearing these tales since we were children. Cinderella, all that. That's what this is about, is being plucked and being a princess. And then here's the reality. It's not always what it's cracked up to be. Oh you know who let me know that it's not all that it's cracked up to be from the Disney princesses since you brought up Cinderella is Ooh. my girl, Princess Jasmine. Mm. Aladdin scholars will remember that she too wanted to run away from Agrabah and be this normal. This is true. Because there's just too much pressure. Aladdin scholars. <laughs> But, like, people say to people like Meghan Markle, like, you knew what you were getting into. You knew it would be like this. But why is this something we're accepting that they're just going to attack her relentlessly for what? Not smiling enough? Not being as basic as Kate? Like, I don't get it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's what, like, when I thought about when I read this story, I was so, I, was, I fell into it and I became obsessed with it. And then I did think about Meghan Markle because a lot of people were like, oh, you know what it was, girl. And we were all, think about how all how excited we were mm. when it all happened. It even got Carly. Carly was like, okay, did. I'm <laughs> in. Love me some Meghan Markle. I'm in. And now here we are. How long have they even been together? Like a year or uh, two? Over a year, I think. But it does, I will argue that I think the Meghan Markle case and this Dubai case mm-hmm. that you're talking about are quite different in the sense that with Meghan Markle, we're talking about an inherently systemically racist press attacking her from uh, without. But in the Dubai case, it's attacks from within. I mean, you know, obviously one is not better than the other, but... They're both terrifying. Yeah. Like, and you, so I will say that based on this article, a lot of this is sort of like, um, you know, they, they talk to people off the record about what's happening and they say, you know, friends of the palace or what, you know how they how they do. But based on sort of the, a lot of the laws that I didn't know, I could imagine how oppressive it would feel for a woman in Dubai who is sort of like modern and progressive. It could feel really oppressive to be like, I can't leave the country yeah. without your permission. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, domestic abuse in expensive jewelry is still domestic abuse. Gotta call it what it is. Well, do you guys have like a situation, an ideal situation that when you think about it on his face, it would seem like it's perfect, but it would actually be hell for you? Like I I often have given this quite some thought. Some days I wish I was Chrissy Teigen. (laughs) Yeah. See why? Yeah. And then other days I'm like, I don't know if I could handle that. It seems like it would be hell to have people talk about my children, talk about me, talk about my adorable husband regularly. Constantly. (laughs) And then make up rumors that you were hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like there's sort of like these benefits. When I think about the idealized version of like, yes, I would step into that life. But then I think about me, like I don't even post my kids on social media 
in real life for fear that somebody's going to say something that makes mm. me like track them down. I don't know if I could do it. Oh, the thing that leaps to my mind is because of where I work, sometimes I do a little bit of television work. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nothing fancy. It's it's me being on the screen talking about how people can donate to this public media station, KQED. Mm-hmm. And I often forget when I'm doing it that actually a lot of people watch that channel. And <laughs> after it's gone out on TV, I get a really surprising amount of people in the street recognizing me because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I style myself pretty much the same every day. Consistency makes you recognizable. And usually it's really nice. People will be like, hey, I love KQED. And I'll say, me too. That's why I work there. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much. You keep our lights on with your donations. There have been a couple of times where, you know, I, I wasn't down to talk or I wasn't in the kind of headspace that I wanted to talk to a stranger. And people really felt like they could talk to me. Once I was chilling in my car thinking about something and a guy came over and rapped on my window Ooh. and motioned for me to wind the window down. Oh. We won't be doing that, sir. Uh, which I wasn't into. Yep, we we will not be doing that. And I do not mean to complain about this, but each time it gives me a taste of what it could be like magnified to such an insane level. Yeah. Like this is very, very low recognizability mm-hmm. we're talking about, a very specific geographically within the Bay Area. But it does remind me like, my God, what if you were like legit famous? And you just wanted to pop down to the shop in no makeup. I was gone. You can't do it. Fame terrifies me. What about you, Emmanuel? Are you ready to embrace your close-up and be famous? <laughs> well, we've talked about this on the show before that both Jameter and I wanted to be on The Real World when we were growing up. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and for years, I was just like, oh, I missed my shot, and that could have been it. And now looking back, I'm like, if I was on The Real World 10 years ago when I was making even dumber decisions— I would be regretting it a lot. I would not be able to get jobs. People would be rapping on my car window, if I had a car, and freaking me out on the street. And when it's something like reality television, they think that they know you, so they're just immediately like familial with you. And you're just mm-hmm. like, wait, should I be scared of you? Like, what's going on? So I think it's for the best that I was not on the real world, New Orleans. <laughs> oh, were you New Orleans? I was going to be Vegas. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you'd have killed it. You in that hot tub, it would have been musty TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so it's like we all have these idealized versions of perfect lives. But like in reality, we probably would want to escape from them. And I, if I could use, if I had magic powers, I would definitely help the princesses of Dubai escape. I think about other people that I would help to escape. Anyone who is dating Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> I just feel like they need an Brad out. Brad Falchuk? You're genuinely just, extending the lifeline just, to Brad Falchuk? I, I just, I feel like, I don't even know who's dating her right now. I just know that I've... It's her husband. He's in deep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah I, just, that I, feel like, I feel like between Goop and everything, he needs an out. Um... <laughs> I also feel like, again, I, I'm, I'm Mother Teresa today, Kim Kardashian. I feel like she needs a lifeline. Yeah. I think now she does. Yeah, I feel like she needs a lifeline. And I, I just, I would I would help her as well. Mm, yeah. And then, of course, Meghan Markle. If I can help them just go and disappear, I would, because she's, she's, she's going through it. What about you guys? Do you have anybody that you're just like, you know what? She looks a little Katie Holmish, mm. Tom Cruise era, and mm-hmm. this person needs help. This is time travel dependent. But if I could find my DeLorean and go back, I'd rescue Lindsay. Lindsay Aww. Lohan. Aww. I think there was talent there, guys. Mm. We could, you know what? She could be in Scorsese movies right now, yeah. but she's not. Mm. Yikes. Someone should also protect and help escape the children that Lindsay's trying to snatch on these streets. Very true. Ooh, Very yeah, well. Uh, ha, so I would have actually gone back and changed history. So in my version, in my, that would have never my bright timeline, never would have happened. Right. <laughs> I think if we're also doing back in time, I would rescue Britney Spears before things got crazy and then her dad has control over her entire life for over a decade with a conservatorship. I wish that didn't happen to her. I want to save Kesha from Dr. Luke and all his lawsuits because that situation is just really sad just seeing her in courtrooms crying and like wanting control over her own art and just her own life and mostly men deciding yeah no we're gonna let him control you even though he allegedly molested you. <sighs> and also, Grimes needs to get away from Elon Musk so she can make music <laughs> I like again. Are, so. they, are they still together? Oh, yes. It's been a, several episodes without mentioning Grimes, so <laughs> I'm so glad this came up. I Here feel we like are. we need to form an agency or maybe some kind of like bureau where we just go in and extract people. Who no, need. she's in deep yeah. with him, and I think she might be as bad as him. <sighs> wow. Yeah. It might just, be to that like point. Like attracts like. Yeah, she's one of those people where you show up and you're like, I'm here to rescue you. And she was like, no, I don't want to go anywhere. You need to be rescued (laughs) now. The Stockholm is kicked in at this point. Right. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was a Game of Thrones plot. (laughs) 
<laughs> but then they like stopped writing it halfway through and then it was just bad. <sighs> I don't even want to talk about well I yeah. do. <laughs> but, you mm. know. Yeah. We all have feelings. So anyway, this is just a reminder that sometimes the quote unquote perfect life ain't all is cracked up to be. Just keep that in mind. The next time you wish for something, think really deeply about whether or not you want to be that princess. And if you're interested in reading the article that had me so obsessed this Sunday, it's called You're Essentially a Prisoner. Why do Dubai's princesses keep trying to escape? Whew. It's the Begin the Pick. Hey, the Begin the Pick. Hey. You know what that song means. It's time for the peak and the pit of the month. But actually, because the decade is about to end, which is wild to think about still, it's going to be the peak and the pit of the decade for each of us. Who wants to go first? Okay, I'm going to go first. My pit, this is so predictable that it's it's based in 2016. But wait, it's not what you think. We're not going to go into that again. It was the one-two punch of the deaths of... David Bowie in January 2016 and then later in April 2016, Prince. No. I really think that set us up for a really crappy year, guys. No, and then we lost Kanye too. Uh, He died. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it was a horrible year. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Um, It really taught me that it's okay to feel very attached to artistic figures that create things that meant a lot to your life. It's not tragic or, you know, sad to mourn them as if you knew them. Yeah. And yeah, I that's the thing that leapt immediately into my mind and I'm sticking with it. My peak, it's a personal one. I'm going to cheat. I moved to the United States in 2011. Yes. Aww. And I think it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's so. the best thing that happened to the cooler too. Oh, Thank yeah. you. It'd be a lot quieter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, mine are going to be really quick too because I went through all of the years and I thought I could spend so much time doing this. I'm just going to do the thing that pops into my head. I already talked about the death of Kanye. That was really difficult for me. The death of the Victoria's Secret runway show is actually wow. <laughs> and I thought it would be on me. Wow. I have. And it's a it's a death of, because it's sort of like this this me putting to rest a certain person that I used to be, which is really huh. interesting. Like, I, I kind of, like, loved the Victoria's Secret brand for such a long time and was, like, really infatuated and, like, Instagram didn't realize the psychological effect that it had on me mm. all these years. And then saying goodbye to the show now that it's over and all the Victoria's Secret, the brand, all that it meant, it just is, it's like, a, it's a bittersweet feeling. I'm happy that we're moving forward, yeah. but sad to see that part of me go. So, bye, angels. Goodbye. <laughs> um... <laughs> And then peak of the decade, I'm going to cheat. Like, I, I had three people this mm. decade that didn't exist before the decade started. You literally so. grew those people. Yeah, I grew those people. 2011 and 2013, I went back in and, and had two more. So It's funny you're so bad with plants. Mm. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea how they're still here, to be honest with you. So that, and then I'm going to slide in also that uh, Solange gave me a seat at the table, which I think is going to yeah. be something that I've listened to for years. So those are those are my peaks. All right. So I love that Carly said... My pit is David Bowie and Prince being dead. And you were like, Victoria's Secret fashion show died. And I'm just like, I can't deal. (laughs) R.I.P. Thoughts and prayers for the bras. So for my pit of the decade, I immediately had 22 political rants just like pop into my head. (laughs) Merrick Garland deserved a fair shot. Christine Blasey Ford deserved so much better. Citizens United is undemocratic. The Electoral College is trash. But I'm not going to get into any of those. (laughs) I'm just, it's too much. I'm going to say that Serial Season 2 had no business being that boring. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I really had high hopes. And how dare they? Season 3 was great. So, like, they came back. But Season 2, I felt betrayed. So, pit of the decade to that. (laughs) Pit of the decade. (laughs) Serial Season (laughs) 2. An attack. Right. Can I just tack on Game of Thrones as well, though? Uh, Yeah, go for it. Series (laughs) finale. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you guys had very heartwarming peaks of the decade, moving Mm. to this country, the American dream, having three children who are so smart and courageous and awesome in the world. Love that. Mine is less uh, personal, (laughs) but it's still (laughs) meaningful to me. Okay. So as we know, Amanda Bynes. (laughs) Oh, God. 
She got her cheeks pierced and threw a bong off a roof one time, allegedly, and spent a good chunk of this decade acting pretty bonkers. But she overcame her demons and is now studying fashion design at FITM in L.A. And I'm happy for her. My peak of the decade is not that she's back in college because, you know, I don't care that much, but like good for her. The peak of the decade is this particular interview that she gave post her getting better. And she's showing all these girls out here how an interview should be conducted with complete honesty and a sense of humor. Just listen to how Amanda Bynes commented on her infamous tweet about Drake. I actually wasn't being insincere. I was like saying, murder my vagina. Uh You were were serious. I was serious, but I was also on drugs. <laughs> she was like, okay. Oh. Drugs brought it out, but that doesn't make it any less true. The, the candor of that. Mm-hmm. The self awareness jumped all the way out. Yeah. And I think she's an absolute legend for that. May we all go into this next decade with that level of confidence and self acceptance of what you've done in the past? Yeah, I did a bunch of drugs and I told the world I wanted Drake to murder my vagina. What of it? I stand. Take your work seriously, but never yourself. Exactly. And before we get to our song of the month, I wanted to play something from our hotline. This is from Lynette from New York. Hey, this is Lynette from New York, and I have been meaning to do this for a while, but I just wanted to let you know that I truly enjoy your podcast. Oh, my God. You guys are just fabulous, and I listen to you all the time and have been a longtime listener, and I'm probably old enough to be at least your older sister, if not your mother. But I still enjoy you. Keep on doing what you're doing. Take care, all. Bye. Wasn't that so sweet? Yeah. My heart is full. I've always wanted a sister, an older sister. So me too. Here we go. I love that. Lynette will take (laughs) you. And we won't act as if being in relation with you is labor because you're amazing. Thanks so much for calling into our hotline. If you listeners want to call with a question or just to tell us you love us, that number again is 415-553-2850. We listen to everyone. We love them. Keep them coming. And if you're listening to this podcast when it drops on December 1st, as you should be, please join me in my first yearly screening of The Muppets Christmas Carol. Guys, it's the best holiday movie ever made and you need to watch it with me. December 1st is the first date you can legally do this. Enjoy. I'm in. Same goes for Family Stone. Let the tears out when Diane Keaton <laughs> looks at Rachel McAdams and says, that's you and me, kid. Mm. Oh, it's a heart wrencher. I just watch Lifetime movies. That's it. And Home Alone is something. Oh, like, it's a classic. So me and my kids will be watching you that. Film the animal. What about the night with the K before Christmas with Vanessa Hutchins? And there's like this night that comes through like a time warp, and she has to like help him get back or something. Listen, yeah, if I'm it. gonna watch one night-based movie this holiday period, it is the non-festive classic, A Night's, a Night's Tale. Tale. Mm. A Night's Tale. It's a delight. It's probably one of the best movies ever made. Yeah. Heath Ledger, know him. (laughs) And now for the outro song of the month. So this outro song is a no-brainer because it's December and only one song exists in my mind during these 31 days. Here we go. That song is, of course, All I Want for Christmas is You by the elusive Chanteuse herself, Mariah Carey. (laughs) The elusive Chanteuse. (laughs) So last year, the song skyrocketed to number three on the charts. And this year, in honor of its 25th anniversary, we owe it to Mariah, Rudolph, and all that is festive and cheerful to get it to number one and break some records. Before we get to that jingle jam, though, I need to draw attention to another Mariah-adjacent audio moment. As most of us know, there's a series called Kids with a Z, Bop, that involves children, we could say reinterpreting, that's a generous take, um, Mm -hmm. reinterpreting songs they have no business singing. Listen to this fruitless search for the note from Kids Bop 9. I'm gonna give that baby just uh, that child. I'm I'm just a child, so I'm not gonna listen. We've just we've all been there. Mm. Uh, that's me in the shower every time I see yes. when I see a spider in the shower. <laughs> Sorry to this child. (laughs) Hopefully Santa gets them something nice this year to make up for us making fun of them on this podcast. But, you know, making them uh, more resilient. Amazing. And on that note, take it away, Mimi. Make my wish come to you.
big thanks to Gabe, Maline, and David Marcus. All original music on the podcast is by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Shout out to Argo Studios in New York City for making our long-distance love possible. If you want to be featured in our hotline segment in future episodes, make our hotline bling by giving us a call at 415-553-2850. Until next month, you can find us on social media. Carly's at Teacup in the Bay. You're at Excuse My Beauty without the E on Twitter. Sharon. And I'm at Jamaidra Says on all platforms. Happy holidays! Have a good rest of the decade, y'all. Bye.